Thank you for tuning in. We are your hosts, Monisha Chakrapani and Ambika Sharma. You are listening to Fintech Cafe, a weekly podcast that takes place with a live audience on Clubhouse. This is episode 50, and the topic is tax accounting for crypto assets. For this discussion, we are joined by the VP of Marketing at Taxbit, Michelle O'Connor. In this episode, we cover wide-ranging topics encompassing digital assets such as crypto taxation 101, DeFi liquidity pools taking in taxes, as well as the implications of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, commonly known as the Infrastructure Bill, signed into law in November 2021. This is a very informative discussion for anyone curious about crypto taxation. Before we get started, let's do a quick round of intros. I'm Monisha. I manage product strategy by day at one of the big five banks in the United States. I've been in the financial industry for almost two decades and co-host the show with Ambika. And I'm Ambika, the other co-host. This show is our hobby project, so thank you so much for tuning in. For a living, I'm a product manager in the fintech space. I've been in this industry for more than a decade, and I have worked in the U.S., Europe, and Latin America. So without further ado, let's switch our conversation now to Michelle on all things digital assets. Taxbit is a crypto unicorn from Yuta. For those who have not heard it, though, if you've been following the fintech space, you couldn't have missed that. Founded in 2018, so fairly recent, Taxbit is a cryptocurrency tax and accounting software that automates tax calculations and reporting on cryptocurrency transactions. And so with that introductions, who lead marketing at Taxbit, stellar resume. Overall, you're one of the few women in crypto, so no pressure there. Talk to us about your journey to Taxbit. I mean, how did you get introduced? to crypto and how did you become one of the pioneers, if I may, in the crypto space? Well, I mean, that's quite an intro. So thank you. My story and path to Taxbit is really cool. And it, it, I'm just so glad I'm here. And I'll kind of go back a little bit and explain why. So I'm the VP of Marketing and Communications at Taxbit. As you mentioned, we're a tax and software company for cryptocurrency and really the tokenized economy. So I started working in crypto back in late 2014 at a company called BitReserve at the time. It later rebranded to Uphold as a digital wallet. And when I started working in this space, it was still new. There wasn't a lot of resources. There was very questionable connotations to Bitcoin and kind of what was happening. There was definitely no followings of web, web three or DeFi or anything like that. And what was really exciting about working in this space at that time, it was, it was very much the wild, wild west. It was build fast, iterate faster, see what's working. The regulations were very far behind. So it was really build quickly, see what adopts and, and go from there. And in that point, a lot of the use case was cross-border remittances, disrupting that, providing democratized access to alternative asset classes. And what has changed now over the years as I've been in the industry and it has evolved, is it has now become, obviously, it's still a store of value. It's still very speculative. We've seen the incredible volatility, but these wonderful use cases have bubbled up out of it. Watching DeFi vis-a-vis NFTs, tokenized real estate. It's, it's just been so wonderful to see what was so speculative, but still very exciting for traditional, you know, disruption of traditional finance to now it's disrupting 
all these other areas of really industry itself. So when I was at Uphold running marketing and communications, I was very close to the community as we were a B2B2C company. And one of the areas that I recognized it was going to be a problem is we all know if regulations and or taxes aren't supported, a lot of industries will either get shut down or so restricted or constricted by regulations that they, they can't grow and evolve. And watching the crypto landscape evolve, it became very clear that their regulatory bodies that there are needed to get more comfortable with what this industry was doing for any hope of it to go mainstream. So a big part of that is ensuring in the US that the tax body, which is the IRS, can get their fair share, but also have clear guidance and regulations. So I met Austin and Justin, the co-founders of TaxFit, at a small crypto conference in the end of 2017. They were still very much in the bootstrap phase, but Austin's a CPA, Justin's a tax attorney, and they were so passionate about what they were building going into what was the second year of crypto winter. I was just blown away by their their passion, their enthusiasm, but also their vision, because I saw what they were building bridge the gap that these regulatory entities needed to start feeling more comfortable with this still very overwhelming new speculative asset class. I kept very close touch with them after the conference. Fast forward a few months, it was tax time. I had a CSV with 25 or 30,000 lines of transactions. And my CPA basically told me that I was insane. He wasn't going to touch it. I couldn't afford to have him try and figure out how to count. So I went to TaxBit. And spoke with Austin and Justin and said, hey, guys, we're looking at working with you on the enterprise side for Uphold. I need to file my taxes. You're a crypto tax company. Help. Well, they did. They solved it very quickly. I got this beautiful, shiny tax form that my CPA could file my taxes. And from there, it was just a very close working relationship to help them, this very early stage company that didn't have anyone in marketing. I very often would give them suggestions, whether they asked for it or not, of where they should be and have had a lot of people share interviews that I gave when I was at Uphold that TaxFit was one to watch over the years. So fast forward, I'd been at Uphold for about six and a half years. I was ready to make a change and TaxFit was still a very early seed stage company, but I decided that that's where I needed to be. I took a, a jump because I believed in the founders, I believed in what they were doing and that they needed someone like me to spearhead the efforts and really get us get us where we needed to be from industry and brand perspective. I mean, if you look at where we're at now, 2021 was my first full-time year. It was an amazing year. We had two substantial rounds of funding. We closed an IRS contract, we grew, grew I think 25 or 30 X, both our enterprise and our consumer side. So it's just, it, it was a very good bet that I made and I'm very proud of, you know, that, but then also just being their first consumer customer and their first enterprise customer. And now being here, it just feels like so, so wonderful. And one of those 
those moments that you just don't get very often professionally. Yeah, I was going to say, was it a bet? But it sounds like maybe a little more of an informed bet, not as speculative. I'm curious about the IRS contract you mentioned. I know we typically get into that a little later, but since you brought it up, would love to understand better how that plays out. I know with a partnership with an IRS, with the IRS usually, I think, could be a game changer. So this must have been a pretty big breakthrough for TaxBit. We'd love to hear Sure. So what's really interesting is TaxBit has a consumer product, and then we have an enterprise offering. And the enterprise offering has tax, accounting, public sector, and then a compliance arm. So there's quite a few different offerings if you look at what we do. And the IRS, obviously, is still really active in investing and in getting to bridge their knowledge gap with digital assets. But they put out an RFP for a crypto tax company to actually help perform audits when they were doing, when you get audited by the IRS, the IRS was looking for an expert in the digital asset space taxes to quantify the audits, make sure they were accurate, or really dedupe the data. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of transactions, there's a lot of cost basis, there's a lot of things that go into all of these transaction volumes. So the IRS basically said, we're not going to do this ourselves. We're going to partner with an industry leading expert entity to dedupe and quantify the data for us. So we won that bid. We've won it now, I believe three times. And it, it keeps building not only, if you look at a gold stamp of approval, if the IRS is considering us best in class to be their go-to for their own audits to digital assets, it means that we really are doing what, what needs to be done and doing it accurately and correctly at scale to be their trusted source. So for us, that was a huge gold seal stamp of approval and it helps a lot of our enterprise partners understand, well, if the IRS is moving toward different regulation or whatever it is, if the IRS is using TaxBit, that means that TaxBit must understand the landscape as well as the regulatory complexities of the space better than its competitors. I'm sure with Austin as a CPA, that must have been a moment of reckoning because how often do you get to define the IRS tax code? But that's that's exciting. And just kind of, oh, Ambika, did you have a I was going to say, uh, Justin, we haven't talked about him, but he's actually a tax attorney. So I think, Between. I don't want to give away your question number two, but I think this is a good segue <laughs> to question number two. So go for it. Yeah. And thank you. We're going to step back a little bit, Michelle, and just understand maybe the founder story that you're able to share with us. Again, it's kind of interesting to me having the surreal experience where I'm talking about tax and accounting and still getting excited about it, but would love to hear the founder market story, market fit story, because we do have an audience where some of us are product in product management, and that's always a good one to, to understand. Sure. Okay. So before I answer your question, I have to say that I can't tell you, I laugh so often because people somehow we have made tax and accounting and in the Web3 crypto space, fun and exciting. And people actually get excited about the brand. They get excited at conferences. 
we have done that and I, I will forever be perplexed on how I was able to do that, but we've done it. So, so it's not just you. And I, I, I laugh very often and I'm, I'm thankful that somehow we got there and hope, hope we keep that. So Austin and Justin are brothers. They're Austin and Justin Woodward. They grew up in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle and then moved to Utah in high school. Austin is a CPA and Justin is a tax attorney. And what's interesting about their path of how they came to find TaxBit is Justin, while he was in law school, actually worked on one of the first blockchain cases in one of their projects. It was, I believe it was Sony came to his law school and they were trying to figure out how they could accept crypto payments. And Justin's team actually went through the complexities of what that would look like and quickly realized that the tax reporting and accounting elements were so messy and so complex that it, there was huge opportunity for disruption. So on the same time, Austin, a CPA, is working at Qualtrics, getting ready for them to go public and doing all of this work, but also a crypto enthusiast you know, in his off time, looking at how the payments that he needed to send to their different entities around the world for payroll, were getting delayed and just like how legacy finance was so broken in tandem at the same time his brother is working on this very interesting case for a huge global entity of, of where they want to start accepting crypto so it was sort of this light bulb moment where in off hours they were kind of iterating they were both in their own excel spreadsheets trying to track their crypto transactions and realized that they needed to create software as a service to disrupt this. So built that, built that, you know, Justin graduated law school, Austin was at Qualtrics, they were set to go public, then they got bought at the last minute. So they didn't go public. And shortly thereafter, kind of went all in, they literally lived in a basement for a year and a half, built tax bit, they had, I think, one to two other team members at the time and were iterating and building and iterating and building. This was during the crypto winter. So it was just the most complex, challenging time while it was still very early in the regulatory and tax landscape for where, where things were kind of going. So built, they started with a consumer product, quickly went up market to enterprise. And this was all, you know, in 20, they went to market in 2018. So we're still very early in, but they just made some very smart, very strategic bets. And those are continuing to pay off now. And we're still very early stages in, in building out the company in our product suite. Thanks. Michelle, so I wanted to go back to some of the product questions. First one I have is maybe we should do a primer just on digital assets to level set with the audience. If that's okay, I can ask you a couple of rapid fire round type of questions on Crypto 101. You bet. Okay. So first question, what are digital assets, especially in the context of tax bit? Sure. So digital assets are essentially, it's this nice way to say cryptocurrency because cryptocurrency has evolved to where there are tokens, there are all these different elements where if you just call it crypto, it kind of doesn't encompass everything. And there's there's tokenized access, there's stable coins. So it's really just a, a more inclusive way to reference crypto in the wider scope as it is now being used in all these different use cases and different asset classes. 
Okay. Okay. And so what made crypto tax filings different or unique rather to traditional tax filings? So the challenge with crypto is in digital assets, it's actually treated as a property, not currency. And that's where it gets complex because when you purchase, let's say you purchase Bitcoin and it's at $32,000 when you purchased it, you establish your cost basis at the time of purchase. And anytime you trade, sell, or transact, there's a disposition. So it's anytime there's a transaction of any any sort, there it, it's viewed as you know a sale or disposition. So you have to track all of these transactions. And anytime anyone's doing anything in crypto, unless you purely hodl and you just buy and you sit on it and you don't do anything, it's a little bit less, less complex. But you still do have to have the point of cost basis established, which unless you're tracking it in an Excel spreadsheet and you have it accurate, it gets it gets very messy very quickly. And it just is a lot easier to kind of have it in one software like we have on the consumer side, but then also for the enterprise side when they're doing everything in far bigger scale. And then another thing that's interesting about crypto and why it's important to track your cost basis accurately is there's still the ability from a tax perspective to take advantage of wash sales because there's no wash sale rules in crypto. So again, this is not advice. You can look at our website or other third parties to confirm as the market is volatile, which we've seen crypto is incredibly volatile. If there's any opportunity to sell, realize a loss, you can reset your cost basis, but you can stack that loss for the end of the year. So hopefully if you run up or have gains, it can offset. So it's, it's a very strategic but complex space that if you try and do it yourself in an Excel spreadsheet, which a lot of people start to try and do, it gets very overwhelming and has huge room for human error and opportunity for inaccurate information, which then unfortunately leads to audits. Got it. Okay. So does the government today have visibility into one's crypto holdings? Yes and no. So there's an infrastructure bill that passed and is going in January 1st, 2023, goes into effect. The regulations for that bill are expected to drop within the next few weeks to make it crystal clear exactly what reporting is required from a, a broker dealer perspective. So the challenge right now is consumers or retail investors if they buy, sell, hold, trade, exchange crypto or digital assets, they have to report it on their tax forms. There's a new box that went on the 2020 filing that basically you have to check it if you've interacted with digital assets. And then from there, you basically need to provide an 8949 that account for all your transactions and trades. Well, the challenge to date is very few exchanges and we've partnered with most of them are actually providing the 1099 or the 1099 missed forms that consumers need to balance out their trades and then file an 8949 to properly file their taxes. So a lot of exchanges are already providing retail investors the reporting and forms needed, but a lot aren't. So we've seen a lot of consumers come to us on the consumer side just with huge headaches. They want to file, they want to be tax compliant, but 
but they're not getting accurate information from their exchange if they're getting anything and their accountants are yelling at them for dealing with crypto at all. So it is this huge kind of rigmarole and mess that over the last, I would say really 12 months, we have seen a lot more exchanges prepare for the infrastructure bill by providing accurate tax forms, but it's still got a long way to go. And when those regulations come out, it will make it crystal clear exactly what the requirements are and who needs to provide what. Awesome. And then another question I had was around tax implications when you gift or donate digital assets. Are there any are there any tax implications in that event? Sure. So there's a company that I am a huge fan of that I'll give a shout out to. It's called The Giving Block. They are an incredible team and they are built purely around facilitating cryptocurrency donations to nonprofits and other philanthropic entities. There are huge advantages for donating crypto. It basically gives you a larger opportunity to write off because the way that you're able to do it is far more advantageous than if you just, you know, have a crypto loss. So there's a lot of tax advantages to donating crypto. A lot of companies basically with the giving block in December, we ran partner campaigns where they can't give tax advice. Our company can. So we, had Twitter spaces, we didn't do a clubhouse, but there was a lot of opportunity to basically inform on a large scale for individuals and retail and institutional investors, the benefits of donating crypto, not only purely from a, a tax perspective, but also just to feel good about what you've done because it was such a huge market, you know, 2020, 2021, people saw just exponential gains and growth within their holdings. So, we saw a lot of very incredible philanthropic movements made that also had tax advantages. And there's a ton of content that we have on the TaxBit site that I can share on social after that, that gives very clear guidelines from our SMEs on exactly what the, the parameters and guidelines are for donating. Yes, actually, that's how I came across TaxBit when I... I wanted to liquidate my ta my crypto assets, but the taxes were so complicated. And I said, oh, instead of giving cash, I'll just donate my crypto assets. And I came across giving block and then eventually tax bit. So that's actually I a full circle it. here, hearing the story from you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We have about, I think, five or 10 minutes in the moderate session. So I'll move next to your product offerings. But let me start first with the mission statement. So I'm on your website and I'm reading the mission statement that TaxBit, we drive the mainstream adoption of digital assets. TaxBit connects consumer, enterprise, and government tax and accounting ecosystems. So in, in line with the, your mission statement, you offer a few product offerings. Specifically, you have a product offering for consumers, for enterprise, and government. Around, I'm very peculiar, I guess, in the few minutes that we have. I want to hit on the enterprise offering that you have. There is also a tax bid network in which you have made partnerships with around 300 different networks, such as, you know, Gemini, FTX, but also wallets. How can you tell us a little bit more about what was the process in establishing this tax bid network? It's it's pretty impressive, actually. Thanks. So that was a moment where we were kind of looking at our consumer offering and Austin, our co-founder, 
to the point that I made earlier that the burden is right now on the retail consumers to be tax compliant, which is just, it's so ridiculous. And not only that, they're being required to pay additional fees to access forms. And it just really, we were looking and we're like, this isn't fair, it shouldn't be on the consumers. We work with all of these exchanges already. How do we make it accessible for consumers to ensure they're tax compliant, remove the barrier to entry and, and make it easier while also doing it at scale? Because if you do it with one or two exchanges, sure, that's great, but let's do it with 20. Let's do it with more than 20 and let's look at the hundreds of thousands of consumers of their products that are in the US that need to file? And how do we just like overnight make it free, accessible, approachable, and ensure that they feel informed, empowered to, to not only be tax compliant, but have access to something year round, because it shouldn't really just be, you know, tax day and you're done. So that's where TaxFit Network came from. And it really was to ensure that consumers feel empowered while our enterprise partners could actually provide this offering to their customers. So our enterprise partners are saying, hey, we want you to be tax compliant. We've partnered with TaxFit to facilitate that. You have free access to a TaxFit consumer account, which is best in class. That's why we've partnered with them. And we're going to ensure that you are you can file your taxes and be tax compliant. So that's where TaxFit Network came from. And we continue to iterate and evolve what that looks like and what it means and it's continuing to grow year over year awesome and because you already have a very robust network i'm wondering what does scale and growth look like what's next for taxfit oh my gosh so there's so much if you look at we announced public sector arm so we opened an office in dc purely focused on the regulatory entities that are there because it's not just the IRS and there's different arms of the IRS. There's huge interest, state level, city level. We know Miami, Suarez is the unofficial mayor of crypto. And so all of these states, city, local level municipalities, and then rest of world want to be able to adopt support and, and embrace this asset class. But there's a knowledge gap and there's also trying to figure out how they do it while also not stifling innovation. Then if you look at our enterprise arm, so you have you know, our de decentralized exchanges, centralized exchanges that are crypto native, those kind of go without saying, we have relationships with most of those. If we're not already having relationships, we're in active talks. Then there are the TradFi's that are, starting to look at crypto that want to bring crypto on the books to be competitive. They need to work with us to understand what it actually means for them to do that from a tax compliant and auditing perspective, as well as accounting perspective. Then what's really cool is you go into what I call legacy finance or kind of, you know, the, the early adopters of traditional finance that have been kind of drugged with kicking and screaming over. We know that JP Morgan, Jamie Dimon was very anti-Bitcoin in 2017. He made some pretty big statements about the negativity of Bitcoin. If anyone at Morgan traded Bitcoin, they would be out. They've since changed their mind. And for JP Morgan or any institutional players to have crypto on their books or have exposure, they have to be able to account for it 
especially if they are a public entity, which is where our accounting offering comes in. So there's so much TAM and so much potential. It's, it's really a moment where I frequently have to rein our product team back in and remind them that there's huge TAM, there's huge potential, but we also have to ensure that we're scaling strategically and not get too far over our skis. So there's so much potential and it keeps growing every day. I just saw that a golf company was going to start tokenizing something. Marriott announced that they were gonna to be tokenizing their reservations and things like that. Some airlines are making NFTs of their airline mile offerings. So it's every day there's something new and all of those entities need products like ours in order to stay compliant scale and be able to pass audit. That's exciting for Taxbit. Michelle, and then to round off the section of moderated conversation, we haven't even scratched the surface of, you know, your role from a leading the marketing and communications aspect. Your knowledge in crypto, we could just do that for the full hour, but I would love to understand <laughs> your thoughts on how marketing works, right? I mean, the scale has been tremendous. The growth has been tremendous. The opportunities continue to be large but how do you i mean like how do the rules of marketing apply in a crypto firm versus maybe a more traditional space that's a great question and it's something that i have been wrestling with recently i am very 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 comfortable in what crypto and fintech need to scale i i know our space a lot of the peers in our space and what we need to do to be successful. And, uh, you know, we've had just a banner year, 2021, 2022 as well. But what's interesting is then you look at SaaS or enterprise marketing or things like that. And that's where it's, it's very interesting where I bring a different lens that is very non-traditional marketing and then have to reconcile the way that crypto markets and crypto people receive marketing and then looking at how do I market to someone like Visa or Amex and how do I make them feel comfortable about crypto? So it's, it's a very complex approach that usually takes a few iterations and there's a lot of AB testing to see what works as well as a lot of different streams of campaigns for different folks. So a TradFi that's offering digital assets doesn't want a bunch of crypto Twitter speak thrown at them, whereas a centralized exchange, a DAO, a, you know, a DeFi project, they don't want us to market at them with boring tax and accounting talk. They want the language that they're used to, the references that they're used to. So it's, it's a lot of being very native in the industry while also being aware of who we're speaking to and bridging those two is is a very interesting and more than full-time job. Sounds like a challenge for sure. And actually, this, Amuk and I were chatting about this. The Super Bowl actually put crypto really in the forefront of the mass audience. And I think, Amuk, your coin term, you called it the Crypto Bowl. We saw several ads from you know some of the fellow crypto companies and also fintech. Just in terms of how you're approaching media strategy, does that play into it at all or is you know are you working on from a working at it from a different angle 
Yeah, so it was definitely the crypto bowl. I think it was hilarious. I, I was actually working on a project and I would get messages from my husband, opinions on the different ads that were, people were seeing, or a lot of people were asking me, you know, what did you think of that? Or, and then of course our internal Slack, we had a lot of opinions at the company of who was running ads. We're more strategic in how we spend because we're not an exchange we do have a consumer offering, but our, our lion's share of where I'm focusing is actually our enterprise product. So our consumer product is very important to me as the first consumer, but I don't see myself, and I don't think it's responsible from a marketing spend to go and spend a ton of money on something like that right now, because I can't quantify it. I'm far more invested in conferences, events, partnerships, something where it's it's, People get to know the brand, get to see our subject matter experts, and it's it's a in-person or remote experience where they walk away understanding the the Midas touch of what tax it is and why we're a unicorn. And that's not going to happen if we sponsor you know a Super Bowl ad. At some point we might, but I would say for the near term, I'm focused on a lot more strategic spend versus that kind of brand exposure spend. But if I was at an exchange or wallet, it would probably be a very different story. Got it. Yeah, mass marketing versus yours is a little more strategic and enterprise level. All right, well, and I thought this was gonna be my final, but I did wanna ask one more before we opened up. You do have pursuits outside as an influencer in the crypto space and also you are a part of the expansion chair for, you are the expansion chair for NYC FinTech for women and are even, I think, talking at an event in the Bay Area next week. would love to kind of understand that role that you play in the community and how, how you're an ambassador, I guess, in the space. Sure. And how so, we can help you. <laughs> I think for me, it, it resonated probably in 2018. I was having a conversation with someone I was mentoring at the time and she was interviewing at fintechs and wasn't interviewing at crypto companies because she didn't have enough knowledge of the space. And when I started working at BitReserve, I had no idea what Bitcoin was or what blockchain was, but the founder was amazing. I quickly learned and, you know, I'm all the better for it. So one of my main goals is how do we help everyone feel comfortable and understand what crypto is you don't have to be down the rabbit hole or orange pilled or any of the kind of stuff that some crypto folks do that can be intimidating i want people to feel empowered to feel comfortable to understand the space to at a high level be able to understand what now mainstream media is talking about when they refer to things like stable coins or Bitcoin or when they reference FTX or anything like that. My goal is to empower the wider audience to feel safe in conversations. And if they wanna dip their toe in this asset class, they can do so, do so with informed and they don't feel pressured or scared or it's speculative, it is volatile. So making sure that there's a consistent narrative of empowering information and education is one of my goals for this space because the more people that are in it, the faster we'll reach mainstream adoption. And 
will kind of reduce some of the speculative nature that we still have now. And then I think as a woman leader, there's still a lot of work to do. And there has been a lot of progress I see over the last few years. And there are, there are, I have amazing peers and, and allies in the crypto space, but there's still a lot more work to do and helping folks understand how they get into this space, but then also how they can scale and climb the ladder. And that's what entities like NYC FinTech Women that's opening a San Francisco chapter, that's our goal is to really create a community of like-minded individuals who can come and ask questions, who can come to meetups, who can have a network of trusted folks if they're looking for new roles. You know, unfortunately we're seeing this market pull back and there are layoffs across a lot of incredible tech companies. How do those folks get into Web3? What does that look like? How do we make it non-intimidating? Like, those are all really why I do what I do outside of my traditional job. And also I'm a mom with two girls. So I look at them and I wanna make sure that I'm setting a good example, but then also leaving something better for them when they get, you know, whenever they get to the workforce, whatever that looks like. Thanks for doing that. I'm a mom of two girls too, so that <laughs> resonates very well. Applaud it and cheer you along the way. All right. Well, at this point, we would love to invite our audience to join us on the floor. As you know, we can take questions directly where you can join us on stage, or you can use the a little paper plane icon at the bottom right to send us a question through the bank back channel. You can send it to myself or Ambika. Or, or even Michelle directly, but would love to take questions at this point. You know how to raise your hand if you want to join us and we'll bring you on when you do. While we get those, I do have some that came from the back channel, Michelle, so I can ask you those while people join us on stage. So the first one I'll pull here is from Bryce. He works at MX. He's also based in Salt Lake City. When I said also, let me change that. You're based in the Bay Area, but as you travel a lot to Salt Lake City, he's also based there. He's asking about enterprise marketing because you touched on that. He's, and you mentioned conferences. He would like to know what are some Bitcoin conferences that you suggest one should look out for or attend for the rest of the year? Well, Bryce, I'm a huge fan of MX. You guys are doing great work and the ecosystem in Utah is so impressive. So. We, I travel all, I'm in the Bay Area, but I feel like I'm everywhere all of the time because I go to a lot of our conferences and I do a lot of speaking. If you follow me on Twitter, and I believe it's linked in my profile, I always share a lot of the conferences. The next one coming up is Consensus in Austin in a couple weeks. Then there's, if you want to go more DeFi, there's NFT NYC. Then it kind of slows down for a little bit. I mean, there's always a crypto conference if you want to go. I would say some of the bigger ones have already happened for the year, but things always pop up. And we're actually looking in Utah, partnering with Crypto Connect, which I'm also on the board of, to host some meetups at the TaxFit office in Draper. So if you want to connect with me on Twitter, I'll make sure that you get looped into that because there's a ton of presence, especially in Utah and crypto. So I want to make sure that we're playing a role in hosting that. And then for the wider audience, 
there's a ton of conferences. If you follow Tax Better Me, I'll always share those. And then we're actually working on getting a conference watch page on the website so people can under like see a calendar of everything that's happening. He says, let's do it. <laughs> Done. Love it. Okay, so we have a few in the from the back channel, but we have two people on stage. So Jeff, why don't you take the floor, introduce yourself, and ask your question or share your thoughts? Hi, this is Jeff. I, I'm a CPA. I currently work for SoFi. Been there for for about seven years, and I'm I'm really interested in this whole crypto space and how to how the regulators going to regulators going to come down and like kind of you know level set everything. So uh, I think one of my questions for you is. Oh, is ahead, your, I, I got poor connection. One thing I want to know is how are you using your software to, you know, to connect with like NetSuite, which is one of the top accounting systems, just so that we can, how can I say this, not have to do double the work, put it in one system, put it in other system and see what's, what's happening. So SoFi is one of our TaxBit network partners. So love your team over there, Rachel and a couple other folks on comms have been amazing. What? Yeah, so big fan of SoFi. It's interesting that you asked that. So we actually have an ERP accounting solution that a lot of folks can connect with NetSuite or other systems, but when they look at what we have and they want one system of truth, they're actually moving over to our accounting system itself because it's more robust, it connects to reporting and things like that. So we do facilitate connectivity, but we also are building something that people can look to as an alternative to that or a complement to if they, if they have, a, you know, you guys obviously have other assets on the books. Our corporate accounting suite complements that and does connect to a few of the different larger systems and it basically depends on what it is and then how it connects and what reporting looks like. Nice. I have to talk to a couple of my teammates. Uh, I know they're probably based in Utah, so I'll connect with them. Great. Yeah. Or message me and I'll, I'll find out who we're talking to and then we can just all, all hold hands together and, and solve the problem. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Deidre, welcome. If you want to try speaking. There you Thanks. Go. Can, you, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, cool. So I was taken by something that you said earlier, Michelle, when you talked about how you had to really rein the product guys in with all of their, their creative ideas they have. So it sounds to me like, you know, you have your, your own marketing roadmap, of course, but it sounds like you have a... a a big role to play also in the in the product roadmap and i'm i'm curious like what are the the arguments that you give the the people that are like chomping at the bit to innovate 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 that's a great question so we're a product-led organization we recently brought over our vp of product is from stripe our cto is from stripe so obviously their API for store product led org. My pushback to them is purely my my team is very lean. So I would love to do all the things under the sun, purely from a quality, quantity, and scalability perspective. If we're going to do what we want to do well, accurately at scale, I can only 
strategically support X efforts per quarter without having things fall by the wayside while also ensuring that there's not message confusion. Because I think everyone on the call has probably seen the products that scale too quickly. They have what I call the cheesecake factory effect where you have a menu of way too many things and people get decision paralysis because they don't know what they want because there are too many ways. So that's where I work very closely. I wouldn't say I'd like not push back, but I want to make sure that I'm supporting the sales org, the product org and delivering what we need while also making sure that we stay authentic to the brand and don't oversaturate the market or make it so confusing that people don't know what the heck we still do. Hope that answers your question. It does. Kind of ruthless prioritization, so to speak. Yep. A hundred percent. It doesn't always make me the most popular, but it makes sure that our message is clear. We are who we are. We're reliable and reminding folks that it, we can always do more, but as everyone knows, hiring is, is kind of tough. So if I mm -hmm. had 15 more marketers, we could do a heck of a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Deidre. James, let's try again. Are you able to unmute? There we go. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah. Great. Thank you. I had to restart the app. Yeah. Thank you for, for having me. Lovely conversation as always. My name is James. Michelle, quick question I have about is, so when you're, when you're talking about taxation on cryptocurrencies, is that a one size fit all? kind of situation or is it different for stable coins, NFTs, utility coins, etc.? So anything that is on a blockchain, stable coins are still on a blockchain, NFTs are still on a blockchain, are taxed as property. So that's that's where it's um, people get so let's say you go to buy uh, an NFT. You buy ETH, which sets the cost basis for ETH. Then let's say you trade the ETH to wrapped ETH so that's a disposition, then it's a repurchase to a new a disposition and a new cost basis. Then you go from the wrapped ETH to buy the NFT disposition, new cost basis. So those are multiple transactions when you're just wanting to go buy, you know, a piece of digital art. It's so complex and there's so many op different opportunities. The only instance where things shift to income is with staking and income coming off staking. So our blog, if you go down the first page of the blog, there's a few very comprehensive guides that we've put out because this is very complex of when it's property, when it turns into income and, and where that kind of looks like. And that's where also our consumer product makes it very easy to understand to where you don't have to track all these complexities. Everything is pulled in and it's basically, I look at it as, a super portfolio manager for anyone in crypto because it pulls from all of your exchanges, all of your protocols, everything that you're doing, and you have one source to look at. Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. A big fan of figure, my friends, the GC there. So love what you guys are doing. Cool, cool. Thank you. If I can do a follow-up question, what about with other assets, say, say, because I mean, figure, right? We're, we're putting HELOCs on the blockchain, selling those via NFTs. So does that count as crypto tax or is that another type of taxation that's on that? I don't have an SME, so I am not 
I am going to speculate, but actually, if you if you pin me on Twitter, I will follow up and get you a confirmed answer. I would imagine because you are putting those on the blockchain and you're making them NFTs, that is still a taxable event because it's it's minted if you're minting it. So that that's where it gets a little complex, and some of these newer use cases are still evolving. But our head of information reporting and our head of tax actually came from the IRS. So he can very clearly define that because he worked on the other side for a lot of stuff. And then our SME team can kind of put a bow on it. Great, thank you. Yes. Michelle, you seem to have a rock star team. All SMEs. Yeah, (laughs) they, I look at everything they do and I just hope that I can glean some of their knowledge because when they speak, it's just, it's mic drop moments all the time, but I have to keep their egos in check. So I don't tell them that. Okay. So Chandler says it's more than digital art. Funny. Chandler works for you, but he also connected the Chandler. Made this call happen. So thanks you. Thank yes. you, Chandler. One question that came from the back channel, and this is from Anand. He also worked at SoFi with Jeff and me. He's no longer on the call, but he left the question. And this is around, I guess, from his consumer personal experience that he uses TurboTax for his regular taxations. But if you were to liquidate, let's say, (laughs) if you were to liquidate, let's say, you know, through Coinbase, then he gets the taxation documents from from you guys, from TaxBit. So is there a way for a possible, I'm not sure if it's a merger or maybe an integration with TurboTax, just curious to get your thoughts around what TurboTax is doing, perhaps maybe TaxBid, would they want to also go into regular tax preparation work or no? So we've had a lot of people ask that, and we actually have partnered with quite a few of the different tax providers. We have not partnered with TurboTax. We have partnered with TaxAct and a lot of the companies that are more embracing of the digital asset class and want to provide this service that that aligns with the IRS's guidance. So TurboTax doesn't land there right now. And we've seen a lot of folks come to us from TurboTax in the way that they were treating different dispositions, sales exchanges, and having challenges with reporting. So that's why we partnered with a few other folks. I know we're in conversations with people like TurboTax. I don't see us in the next 12 to 24 months at least looking at traditional tax reporting because there's so much opportunity within the digital assets, tokenized economy, web three space that I I think it's kind of a situation that we let the folks who've done that stay over there. And we're really building the service for the tokenized economy or web three economy. Okay. And then another question that came, this person, they're all, I'm just checking. I don't think they're here anymore either, but they were messaging me around partnerships with banks. Do yep. you, does TaxBook have any partnership with, let's say, Chase or U.S. Bank or Wells Fargo around this? Yeah, what's kind of a bummer is working with some of the legacy financial institutions is it, they want to dip their toe in the crypto pool, but they don't want to talk about it publicly. So we do have partners at traditional finance institutions. A lot of them aren't public about it, but one institution is very more traditional and legacy that we announced recently is Deloitte. So it's not a bank, it's not a financial institution, but 
Deloitte is all in on crypto and they're all in on us. So they're one of our partners that's more vocal. Some of the legacy finance, we're, we're like the quiet person that, that maybe one day they'll talk about, but right now we're just quietly working behind the scenes. Got it. So is Deloitte a broker in between, let's say, TaxFit and these FIs or what is Deloitte's role? So their role is really interesting. A lot of these companies will look at Deloitte as a consultant if they're looking at a tax or accounting solution. So let's say they're talking to TaxFit, they're talking to a few other players, they want to decide where they land or what it looks like. They look to Deloitte to basically do a competitive analysis. Well, Deloitte did that themselves and landed on TaxFit as the absolute industry leader, which is why they publicly, and we announced this about three weeks ago, went into partnership with us. So we collaborate with them. They bring us opportunities. We bring them on, on opportunities where maybe the opportunity wants to work with, with us, but we are a four-year-old startup. So they're not, they're not quite comfortable or they're not quite sure. And it's digital asset space. So Deloitte brings that seasoned conversation and seasoned proof point to say, hey, these are the folks that we believe in and, and this is why you should go with them. Got it. Okay. Monisha, if you don't, do you have any questions on your site on the back channel? Otherwise, I have a last question from Michelle. Go for it. So Michelle, last week, you and I, we were both at Finnovate San Francisco. You were on a panel about how to increase, you know, more, how to see more female founders. Noble topic. I got myself on a WWF style cage fight around fintech. I thought it was more civilized debate, but it turned into be a WWF trash talking. But there was one topic and the topic was crypto is past its peak. And I wanted to get your views on that. So imagine visually, you know, you are at this mountain called cryptocurrencies or crypto. Yeah. What does the peak look like when you're at the top? What does the world look like from there? There is no top. We're like barely up the mountain. I mean, we're barely starting. I think there's, there's so much still to do and we're just starting to see real world, real world use cases take off at scale. So I would say that the speculative world of cryptocurrency may be reaching a moment of evolution and i frankly hope it does i i hope that the asset class isn't only speculative and we're seeing all of these incredible DeFi, nft and, and you know even bitcoin and other use cases that people are actually putting this asset class to what it was intended for but by no means is crypto at its peak i think some of the nonsense and fud that people have is maybe they've made misinformed decisions or investments or they don't understand the technology which is usually when people have fled is if they they don't get it they they don't want to talk about it or they think it's negative i think we're still in the very early stages and if you look at huge funds in a, in in the market that we're in and recent announced i think a 4.5 billion dollar fund and then a 50 million dollar venture fund like nothing is anywhere near at its peak if anything we've reached like the first plateau and we're getting we have a lot more mountain to climb i agree here here that was the winning statement and <laughs> also, in this cage I fight wanna, with us i want to hear more about this cage fight like our panel was so civilized i feel like i should have gone to your panel 
<laughs> well, you know, we had our own gowns. So I, my gown had a name written Ambika Barrier Bruiser Sharma. I didn't come up with that, but it was fun. And we actually, the winning, the winner got like a championship belt. So yeah, it I was want fun. I'll send you pictures. This sounds amazing. <laughs> yes, it was more of a like snarky, you know, being mean to each other type of fight. It wasn't an Oxford style debate at all, <laughs> which I thought it was. And Ambika, you won the belt, right? So we have a winner here. Yeah, sorry, I'm competitive. <laughs> yes, I won, but I'm not so proud of it. I mean, our team did an escape room this week, and Chandler is still on. Like, com competition is seething through me. So I, I, I already am like, how do we get you the next belt? What do we need to do? So I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, I was telling you, I was like, maybe I should just go to all these fintech conferences and just win these belts. We need to trademark this and have more of these cage fights at different conferences. Yes, I love it. Well, thank you. I think that with that, we're at the top of the hour. So thank you so much, Michelle, for hopping on last minute and for educating us on all things taxes and crypto. So I really appreciate your time today. You bet. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks, everyone. Have Bye. a good night. Thanks. Take care. That's all for today. Thank you for listening. If you like the discussion, we welcome you to join us during our live shows every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific on Clubhouse. We'd be delighted to have you there. You can also find other episodes on all major podcasting platforms, such as Spotify, Apple, Google, Audible, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd appreciate if you could leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. Until next week, be safe. Thank you.